Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's book. Welcome to another episode of Chris Reed's book. As always, I'm Chris Pullen, and I apologize for my long absence. Last time I put out one of these uh, podcasts was back in February of this year, 2016. I've meant to be doing more. It just uh, so happened that I wanted to be spending some more time with my wife and my daughter during these past, oh, six months or so since it is now July 1st, and uh, I apologize for that. I didn't get to editing books, I didn't get to making podcasts, but I am back, and I'm going to try and release at least one uh, new podcast a month for the next few months. So, uh, let's get started. This podcast, this episode, will be chapter two of my second book, uh, Chaos's Zenith, specifically the uh, chapter entitled Chaos's Meeting. Let's jump into it. Sir, we really should get going. The speaker is quite anxious about this meeting, Lewis said. I bet he is. Chaos thought to himself, after all, it's not often that the deceased head of a movement comes back seeking power. And yet here he was. The hitch, of course, was that his abilities, all of them, save Eric's battle awareness, had vanished. Chaos had realized this recently. One reason for the delay. We will be in there in due course, he replied to Lewis. Let the man sweat, as he should. His power, that facile, transitory, bureaucratically imbued fallacy, was nothing compared to the power chaos had and would wield again. Even so, without his abilities, he would have to rely on his natural presence, his dominating persona, persona to carry him through this meeting. And so he needed time to compose himself. Uh, as you wish, sir, Lewis returned. Chaos could hear the pause in the man's voice, the hesitancy of being caught between two powers. The speaker would reprimand him for the delay, but he rightfully feared Chaos more. He had some inkling of the power Chaos once wielded, and knew better than to trifle with it. So much had changed during Chaos's extended absences. The movement he had set in motion toward the end of his civil war had not only taken root, but had prospered and come into full bloom. At least, it seemed to be in full bloom to those who now controlled it. They saw only a golden age, one perfect as it was, and in no need of change or further growth. They had made it so far as they could see, but such was not what his movement was intended to be. They have stagnated, grown loathsome. The power the fools hold at bay. They must be prodded out of melancholy and into action. This potential must be used. 
Especially with only that neophyte hall around to oppose me, Chaos thought. Chaos suddenly found his right arm restive, twitching on its own. What to do about that speaker? It would have to be dealt with somehow. He was the key log holding up the river. Remove him, and the river could once more flow at full force. The movement would regain its initiative and fulfill its ultimate purpose. Total power. What else was there? History remembered only the victors, and chaos would not be relegated to an historical footnote. Your plans will fail, you know. The thought voice came to Chaos's mind of its own accord. <laughs> Shut up! Chaos thought back. You'll not so easily silence me, came the reply. Chaos simply shoved the voice away to the depths of his mind. Says you, he mumbled aloud. Sir? questioned Lewis. We will go in five minutes, Lewis. Please, let the speaker's office know that we will be en route presently. Lewis gratefully stepped out to do so. What to do about the speaker if he proved less than cooperative? Perhaps there would be pretzels at the meeting, some candy... People still died from choking these days. A cover story was still a cover story. Chapter 3 Melinda James was asleep. This much he knew. But I know this place. I would hope you would, came a woman's voice. A familiar voice. James looked around the lab and saw her standing in the doorway, hands crossed on her chest as she leaned against the doorframe. We spent enough time here. Where? James started to say. James, let your mind relax. She was right. That much he instinctively knew. The disorientation will pass, but first you need to relax, she repeated. James nodded, took a few deep breaths, closed his eyes, and cleared his mind. Realization dawned on him as quick as a flash. His eyes snapped open. Melinda, he said, why are we in your lab? Well done, James. We're here, because out there, she said, motioning over her shoulder into our defense, are a staff worth of people. I'm asleep, James said, and, and you're here to train me. Spot on, kid, she said as she stood up and entered the lab. So let's get to it. Take a seat there, she said, motioning at a chair across from her desk. James turned toward it to find Melinda already seated behind her desk. How did... he said, half turning toward the door, motioning to where she had been standing. Your mind's still catching up. Don't worry. Just let it pass, Melinda replied. James turned back toward her to find himself sitting. So, he said, his hands on his knees. How do we start this? Well, James heard in his head, there's a reason Deandre had you first. It was Melinda's voice, without a doubt. I'm pushing into your mind right now. Follow it backwards, upstream. Let the current of it pull you. James could feel that familiar tugging on his head. 
He knew it from his time interviewing Eric. It had been Melinda's ability. Indeed it was, now, upstream. Let your mind flow against the current, came Melinda's voice in his head. Despite wanting to ask how, James simply relaxed and closed his eyes. His mind became adrift on a river. The river flowed past him, his mind drawing itself upstream against the current. He could feel knowledge pushing itself into his mind, even as it sought the source of the flow. There, ahead, the river drew shallow, banks enclosing, its current decreasing. Your mind knows instinctively the way through falsehood and barriers, came Melinda's voice from his left. James's mind's eye turned to look, finding itself staring at another river source. But it was false. Instinctively, his mind knew. The flow of Melinda's mind drew him forward toward her true center. Dandre taught you well. The mind knows things of its own accord if we simply free ourselves to know them. Knock it as an arrow, giving it direction, then let it seek its target on its own. James drew closer to Melinda's core now, that which was her mind. At the same time, he was aware that she continued to push new information further into his mind. Personal, non-technical information as well as technical details. It's all related, came her voice louder. It all ties in, even if you can't see how now. Nanite tech. Family. Familiar faces. Sons and daughters. Phenotypical characteristics. Codes. Phases. Piercing brightness touched James's mind and made him cringe. You've reached my mind. Well done. You can't harm it. Reach out and touch it. Caress it. Hold it. Know it. I can't look at it, James said in the mind's space. A true statement, despite your lack of understanding why. So don't try to look at it. Just know it's there, and reach for it. Her voice was confident, carrying with it simple assuredness. It begged trust and obedience. A trick of the mind accentuating spoken words. Something you can learn to do, once you learn how to touch a mind. But how? James asked. He could still feel the flow of the current against his own mind. He tried to force his way th toward the source, only to find himself being pushed away. The mind can sense when it is being attacked. Even the simplest mind has basic defenses against this. Force will not work, not without undue harm to both people. Remember your earlier lesson. Relax. Let go. That had been the lesson. James could not forget its import. It was hard to accept, though. His life had always been so ordered and controlled. To truly let go was difficult. Tapping into the other memories, James visualized a plane. Grass beside an ocean. Palms encircled James's little patch of green, their leaves swaying in a gentle, warm breeze. Namaste. Forward bend palms beside my, his feet, bent knees, hop back to chaturanga, push-up pose, rolling over onto the tops of his feet, upward dog, chest expanding as his shoulders pulled back, the breeze tugged softly at his hair, the scent of flowers carried with it, rolling backward over his toes, hips up, 
downward dog. Swing the right leg forward, bent. Drop the left heel down. Hands together overhead, looking up, warrior one. Release over his front leg, coming to balance on it, his left leg lifting. Warrior three. James is a straight line from his fingers through his toes. His hands are at Melinda's mind. He extended forward gently, and it felt like a hammer hit his whole body. You're doing it, came Melinda's voice. James could feel his mind flow forward in a sharing bond. Their minds were linked, tethered as two rafts on the ocean. Even as information flowed into James's mind, he flowed upstream into hers. It was an island of houses, each house a group of memories, each room one specific memory, all its own. He could go where he pleased, opening doors at will and discovering their secrets. Good, James, came Melinda's voice from down one of the island's streets. You've made it here, but that is merely part of the lesson. As you are doing here, so I can do in your mind. The real power of this ability, though, is in what you can affect with it. Your first pet, James, focus on it. James's mind's eye saw Mr. Tibbs, the kindly striped orange tabby cat. He liked to sit on the table and watch James do homework, his own little feline tutor. This gift, came Melinda's voice, with it we can give or take away. Suddenly, within the memory, James could no longer see Tibbs, Try as he might, he could not visualize him. All that remained in James's memories of him now was a blank space. He could recall no, no part of him. James's mind, frantically searching, knew only that he was a pet, but no more. Was Tibbs a dog? A parrot? Some other animal form altogether? He must have eyes. James remembered that he sat there on the table watching him as he did homework as a child. Do you see? Melinda asked as a cat leapt into the memory. You can remove parts of memories? James asked aloud as he walked down the streets toward one part of the island's beach. Not just parts of memories, but whole ones if I wish, Melinda's voice said, seeming to draw closer. If you could take away, James said, can you also create? Destruction and creation are the same. In destroying, you create a new reality. In creating a new reality, you destroy the old. Yes, but more, too. Memories drive us. Remembered information makes us who we are. So, with the right artifice, James began to say, I could compel someone toward an action? Why are you walking toward the beach? Melinda asked from beside him. Looking at her, he said, Because I know there's something important there, something useful. Oh? she asked as they continued to walk together. Like what? Like... James said, stopping immediately. He did not know what was there, but he knew it was something of great worth. So great that he had to get to it, but what was it? And how could he know about it? Melinda's mind was a mostly unexplored island for him, and yet he couldn't remember where he had encountered the fact that something so important was on the beach. He could feel pieces of a puzzle falling into place as his mind sought 
over the information at hand. You weren't walking with me this whole way, James said to Melinda as they paused at the edge of the buildings. No, I wasn't. You created the knowledge that something important was out here. Yes, I did. How? James asked. This is mind space. What you will into being is real. The real trick, though, is in figuring out where to will the thing. How do you mean? James asked. Look at that house out there, she said, nodding to her left. There, with the ocean lapping against it, was a two-story house. It was a Martian colonization design, its doors, airtight seals. The whole facade had a red-toned shade to it, the siding a variant of resilient, resilient con aluminum. Not right, is it? No, James replied, puzzling at the house. What was the name of your second cat? she asked. Pardon? The other cat. The one not Tibbs. There hadn't been another cat. Had there? His mind searched itself, questioning its own reality. There at the table, Tibbs watched James work on his homework. He could feel another cat curled at his feet. There was only Tibbs. Wasn't there? You know better. But it feels right for there to have been another, doesn't it? Melinda asked. James nodded. Location, location, location. His mind locked onto the real memory. It had only been Tibbs. The mind giveth, and the mind taketh away, she added. James looked up, realized the absurdity of a house built as the one on the beach, and watched it fade away. It left no trace of this once existence. But the memory of it remains, doesn't it? Yes, James replied, as he turned to look at her. He found himself once more seated across from her in her NARA office. She was leaned back in her chair, fingers steepled in slowly, one pair at a time, tapping up and down the line. A sandbox, in which to practice, he added, understanding pulling out his unconscious mind. Exactly what it was. Dandre had his dojo. I have my beach. He finds things that already exist. I make things exist already. But that wasn't always the primary focus of your ability. No, Melinda admitted, inclining her head slightly and pursing her lips. But the use was always there. I hadn't the time in my own life to fully develop it. Ancient man used flint knives. Now man can fashion stronger ones of metal. It's not anything truly new, just an improvement, an innovation upon an original. Eric, James said. He was the innovator. It was a memory, almost a section heading. With the knowledge flowed a cascade of memories, they flashed past James's mind an instant, his head swimming in a buzz. <sighs> Relax. Let the information flow over you and through you, he reminded himself. His mind righted itself. Eric had innovated with Melinda's ability. What was more, he had used it to... to set something in motion. Melinda came to attention, 
turning square to James, leaning forward as she placed her palms on the desk. She looked concerned and disturbed. What are you thinking? she asked. Um, I'm... I'm not sure. Some of Eric's memories are like shadows of shadows. I... I know they're there, and know I should know what they contain, but... It's like I can't access them. Melinda's eyes started back and forth between James's. He could feel her sifting through his mind. The strength of it was at once disconcerting and intriguing. Here was a mind within James's own, manifest as a person, searching his mind from within itself for something hidden. I can feel the memories too, and I can feel their import, she said, pushing herself back from the desk slightly. Have you asked Eric about these? I... I haven't seen him since... James began. He transferred us to you, Melinda finished. That's probative in ways. She picked up the phone on her desk, pushed a few buttons, and held it to her ear. Once again, James's mind latched onto the strangeness of the act. What would she need an ancient telecommunications device like a telephone for in a mental construct? At the same time, they were in our defense. Hun, can you come in here? She asked a man on the other end of the line. James hadn't heard his voice, but knew it was a man. From the door behind James came James Christopher's voice. You sure? Shouldn't you be focusing on training the boy? Turning his gaze back to Melinda, she no longer held the receiver. She'd again leaned forward on the desk, her hands clasped on its dull black surface. Looking just to his right, she said, This takes precedence. There's something here we need to examine, plus... Good practice for the boy. James Hall turned to where she was looking to see James Christopher seated there. Okay. He looked at James. What have you got, sport? Focus on James, Melinda said. James Hall knew she was instructing him. Project what you've seen. The mind will find the proper way to share. He could feel something groping around, like a limp stick gliding across some surface. Remember to relax your mind. He could do little else, as he didn't know what was going on. The stick snapped straight, seeming to have been grabbed from the other end. It lengthened and straightened. Now focus on the thoughts. The shadow of shadows, Melinda said. He let his mind wander and pass over the knowledge that wasn't there. Hmm. James Christopher murmured. He sat up and leaned slightly forward. James Hall could feel his mind switch to another knowledge that wasn't a ghost of a ghost memory. Yes, I can feel it too, James Christopher added. What are they, hon? Melinda asked. I'm not sure yet, James Christopher replied, his eyes staring straight into James Hall. But I can tell you this. They're purposefully hidden and definitely made by Eric. I get the sense that they were put there specifically for us to find, or at least for someone to find. Hall's mind flipped quickly to another such piece of knowledge. Yes. I have these small pieces, James, James Christopher said to Hall. Let me work on them. If either of you need me, I'll be in my lab. He rose and left Melinda and James Hall, the pensiveness clear in his gait. 
Well, Melinda said, pulling James's attention back toward her. I suppose we ended up getting you some training anyway. But, James added, he helped. Sharing with just any random person, sharing thoughts and memories upstream like that wouldn't be so easy. True, it wouldn't, she admitted, but you don't just run a marathon from scratch. You work up to it, train for it. You practice for it. Right, she said, twitching her left eyebrow in agreement. You've given us something to chew on, and I pushed a lot into your mind, too. Probably enough for one night. So, James said, looking around, uh, how do I get out of here? It was easier for James that second night to remember that this was just a dream construct. Melinda leant forward, hands clasped on the desk. While he felt no grasp on his mind, her voice carried an immediacy with it that forced him to pay attention. Wake up, she said. A memory trip then, and James recognized a subtlety and undercurrent in her voice. Nothing one would recognize consciously. And so James was. The light of morning once more streamed through the windows of Eric's house. His mind felt heavy and bloated. Even so, James could feel it working. More and more pieces of this something than he was now involved in clicked into place. The old photo of Ellen H. came to mind. The cement slab in the picture stood out as if highlighted. He would need to talk to Hank soon. His bar held more secrets than just great food. So that was chapters 2 and 3 of Chaos's Zenith. We'll leave it there for today. Thank you again for tuning in and listening to this podcast. If you would like to get in touch with me or just follow. Sorry, uh, somebody just came in. But if you want to connect with me, follow me, keep up with all the latest podcasts I will put out. You can head over to narclanic.com. That's N-A-R-C-L-A-N-I-N-C. Dot com. Go to the podcast portion of the website, go to the Chris Reads book page, and there will be all the raw mp3 files of all the podcasts I've done. The dog just came in. Hi, Kaser. Uh, there will be all the raw mp3 files of all the podcasts I've done. Uh, you can download those directly from the website or stream them on the website. Otherwise, there will also be links on the page to email me or to connect with me on Facebook and Twitter. Those will take you right to my Facebook and Twitter profiles, uh, where, at least on Facebook, I will post uh, the synopsis of the episode whenever I put up a new episode of Chris Reed's book. So yeah, uh, right now, you know, if if you had enjoyed the back episodes from my first novel and you're just picking up on my second one here if you're enjoying those and you want to help support this podcast really right now the best way you can do that is to um share this podcast with a friend with a family member with somebody who you think would enjoy the science fiction story because i have a normal job this is just something i'm doing to try and get some exposure for my writing so that maybe one day I can retire from my normal job and become a full-time writer. 
So again, best way you can help support me is to just help me spread my name and uh, you know my writing. So thank you for that, and uh, until next time, have a good day.